You know, the church just celebrated a birthday, but it all started on Wednesday night in our backyard in our house right up the road, about a half a mile up the road. And Wednesday night's really a foundational thing at Journey. We've been teaching the same way for years. And uh, Jarkeith, it really touched my heart tonight. I love what you said about communion. I just like what God is really doing on Wednesday nights. A lot of different communions, a lot of different teachers, and a lot of people up here sharing and uh, I'm grateful that you're here. We call this Journey's midweeks, uh, midweek service. So at 7 o'clock we teach and worship, and at 6 we're eating food and fellowshipping. And really the essence of Journey Wednesday is gathering in the name of Jesus. If you look at Acts 2.42, that really is the model of the church, and we really try and perform it all every Wednesday night. We, just, we have communion, we have prayer, we have worship, we have fellowship, we have food, and we also break bread, the actual Word of God, and it's really important and powerful. Now, this is my annual pilgrimage on Wednesdays. They don't let me teach anymore on Wednesdays. Bad behavior usually is what Jeremy says, so that's why... Uh, Honestly, the reason why I don't teach on Wednesdays anymore, I used to teach every other week or, you know, once a month, and the truth is there's so many young guys coming up, I don't want to hold them back. They don't need to hear me twice, and so I'm super grateful for all the guys coming up and teaching. Powerful, because it says a strong message to the church that's not one voice, and that's the importance. So, honestly, this is the second time this year, and uh, I've been begging Jeremy for at least six weeks, so it's just a lot of prayer, a lot of fasting, and finally he said yes, so thanks, Jeremy. That's the nicest I've ever been to Jeremy Case, by the way. So, uh, anyways, last week we uh, are, we concluded a, a portion of the Bible in this book Corinthians. There's two letters that we see in the Bible for the church in Corinth. And there's a letter or two that's missing that we don't know about, but there is another communication. And the last couple weeks, we've been talking about the authority of an apostle or the authority of Paul. And um, uh, the authenticity, what I would say is the authenticity of Paul being an apostle, or what we'll see today is him calling himself part of the super apostles. James and John and Peter, those guys are super apostles. And Paul's trying to struggle because he's now on his second letter and he's giving this communication. In the last few weeks, he's been talking about, I do have the authority, guys, gals, church. Remember that. And uh, last week, uh, I don't know how he got up here, but Matthew uh, on a mission, Perez was up here. I was gone last week. I don't really call him Matthew on a mission, Perez. I actually call him Apuna, so that's my nickname for him. So if you guys want to know, you can ask him why it's Apuna. But uh, Matthew did a great job. And really, as I was listening to Matthew's message last week, it was really cool because he was talking about the authority and pride and boasting. Now, it's kind of weird to talk about authority and then in the same uh, sentence talk about pride and boasting in that same message because usually authority you want to stick you want to kind of separate pride and boasting but it usually comes up and so it was a really good message good job bro it was really awesome to hear you get up here and speak today I want to kind of continue in a new section in the Bible where the Apostle Paul is getting even more personal and intimate an intimate relationship is with somebody that you know really well, and they can handle almost anything that you say. And here, the Apostle Paul gets very intimate with this church and says some really personal things that almost kind of are obscure for a Bible conversation, you'll see that. And today, I would say this is the vindication of his apostleship or the proof of his apostleship, and he's kind of making some interesting statements. 
Paul explains to his church that he started and through communications that he should be worthy to be called a super apostle and raised up high. He should not be anything less than one of the top three or four apostles. And that's his communication. If there was a title today in the NIV Bible that I have today, on the top of it, it just says as the the subtitle for that chapter, it says, Paul and false apostles. Today's church is riddled with false teaching and false apostles from the pulpit and from Bible studies and from many different areas. And so the Apostle Paul communicates to that because it was happening back then and it happens today. And there's something that he wants us to understand. Now, what does it mean to teach falsely? What does it mean? What's the word false? I personally, when I wrote this and I was thinking about it and praying, the first thing I said is, let me make sure I understand exactly what Webster wants me to know about the word false. And here's what it says. False, not according to, not according with truth or fact, it's incorrect, or appearing to be um, the thing denoted deliberately or meant to be deceived. Deliberately made or meant to be deceived. So there's some sort of deliberation that I want to act like it's true, but really I know it's false, or really I know that it's about me and myself and I. And so that's what Paul's talking about. Now, I want to start with a question. I think Jeff gave me a little extra time tonight, so I, I want to have a couple questions, and I want to ask you this one question. This is an interesting question. I don't think we've ever done this in church, but here's the thing. How is Satan used in churches today? Who does he use in churches today, and who is spared from this? I want to spend three or four minutes at your table. If you're not with more than one or two people, you guys should just move over so that you can have a robust conversation, but answer that question about Satan. How is he used Who's spared and who does he use? So go ahead and go. Okay, I just want to finish up. I got a couple more questions I want to get to, so start wrapping that up. If somebody hasn't shared, give them a chance to say something.
When I first, uh, when I first opened up this text on Saturday or Sunday of last week and I looked at it and I, I was peeking about what the topic was going to be, the first thought that I had in my head, and I'm going to finish with this thought, so I want to open with it and I'm going to close with it, is uh, beware of uh, the wolf in sheep's clothing. And there's a verse in multiple places in the gospel. So I, I think that's kind of what the text is here. And that's kind of the question that I'm asking you is how does he work and, and where does he work? And I'm really not looking for the answers. I'm hoping you're going to find those answers out as we go through the text. We're a church that believes that God will reveal himself to you, that he will grow us in our salvation experience and also transform us by understanding and trying to see falsehoods in our life. So if you're able to stand, let's stand up and read from chapter 11. We're going to use this chapter. I was telling you earlier, I'm reading from the NIV version. I was talking to my buddy Corey last night, and I was thinking I was going to use the NLT, but I use this. It says this, I hope you will put up with me in my little foolishness. Yes, put up with me. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I'm afraid that one, just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your mind, may say some, your mind somehow may be led away astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For, it's some, for, it's someone comes, for if someone comes to you preaching Jesus, other than the Jesus that we preached, or if you receive a different spirit, from the spirit you received or a different gospel for the one that you accepted, you are putting up with it easily. That's an interesting place. You see the person, the personal effects that Paul writes here. This is a letter that's now gone to really his personal statement. And uh, I just want to pray for a moment and ask God to really speak because it's hard to say that there's sheep in wolf's clothing because that could mean that there's someone here or someone that we know that could be that. And it's hard to hear that sometimes, but that's the truth. So let's just pray. Father, we thank you that we have the word of God that's our truth. And it doesn't come from man. And even though it might be offensive sometimes, that offense can actually change and convict and transform for your glory. So Father, whatever falsehoods we have in this church or we have in this country or in this world that's coming from the pulpit, which it does, or from small group leaders, or in small groups like today, Lord, I pray that you will shine the living truth upon it, and that your glory will shine, and that the world will see that you are alive and real, and that your truth stands above all truths. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Go ahead and sit down. When the apostle Paul writes this word foolish, if you look at foolish in the Greek, Without me making you say it, because I can't pronounce it as eloquently as our young Jeremy Case can, the actual Greek would mean it's stupid, ignorant, or illogical. It's this mindless conversation. At the beginning of this text, Paul is writing, it's like, will you guys just put up with my foolishness right now? My egotistical, my mindless, my stupid conversation, because at this point of the letter, as we're coming to a close, it seems a little ridiculous, but I'm going to say it anyways. And that's kind of where he comes at it. He's embarrassed. He has to have, at the end of this letter, what we call to a come-to-Jesus moment or a come-to-Jesus talk, where he comes up with another person or a group of people and say, here's where it is. And this is the truth, and I know it's going to be offensive and hurt some people, but the truth is, 
It needs to be said. And you're going to see that a little bit later that Paul comes and he said, I'm willing to cut everything down to the ground to make this work because I love you guys. He shows his intimacy. He reflects back on the past in this section about where he was and who he was and how he loves these people. Here he's like, I'm so jealous for you. Anybody ever had a jealous boyfriend or girlfriend? I had this girl back in high school. Her name was Danielle. She was miserable. We used to call her Tracker because she would find me everywhere. And that was before GPS. I know it looks like I was only in high school a couple years ago, but I mean, it was a long time ago. And uh, man, she was miserable. Anyways, I don't know where that came from. That wasn't part of the notes, but that's probably why I'm not asked to come back very often. But he reflects back to past feelings, and he's jealous. He says, I'm really jealous for the relationship that we have because I was there in the beginning when it all started. And then he goes, but I'm really jealous in a godly way because I want the truth in your life, and I want you to push away the falsehoods. I really want to give you truth, and I want you to go back to that moment, and you're going to see him kind of go back in that direction, which is really cool. He's basically saying, remember that you are married to Christ, and at one version it says the husband. And the church would then become the what? The wife or the bride. And he's like, go back to that moment where the husband met the girl and you guys were so in love, we're so perfect together, right? It's just like in Christ, I'm so new to Christianity, I can tell everybody, and about three years later you won't tell anybody because you're embarrassed and we're so different, God. Right, And that's what he's like. Go back to that moment where the husband comes in and where it was pure and he wants to come together and remember when the wife came before, it was this pure virgin-esque reunion. And he wants us to go back to that place and say, that's where it all started. And you see the personal kind of communication with Paul's like, remember, I'm just this jealous boyfriend wanting for you to have the best, Right? And someone that truly loves someone lets them go and wants the best for them. That's good and real love. And that's what he wants, but he's not letting them go. So, And then in this conversation, as many times in a, in a good church, they go back to the garden where Eve and Adam are there. And he communicates about how Eve, the woman in the relationship, all in the same breath was the church being the woman in the relationship, is being, being uh, uh, deceived by the serpent. And the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, the woman at, in, in the garden was deceived, and so can the church be deceived, the bride, because false prophets are among us, and we need to understand what that means. We don't want to be fooled. And he's really challenging us to say, beware of the different types of, of teachings of Jesus. He's like, don't think of another Jesus other than the one that you were preached to, or a different spirit other than the one that you received. Or a different gospel other than the one that we preach. Because if you do, you're missing out on what Christ is trying to communicate. So what does that mean? I mean, you think about it. There's another Jesus. There's another spirit. And there's another gospel. Well, we're going to get to that. Because I think you'll see that the things about Jesus is, who is Jesus? If you've ever gone to our website, actually, I don't know if you guys know this, but we just redid our website this week. Kate did a great job on redoing our website. But in the middle of this, Jeremy put together this really cool thing, Who Jesus Is. And you should read it. It just goes on and on about who Jesus is and some really good biblical things. But if you look at it, it tells us who Jesus is. And Paul's pointing back. Do you remember the Jesus I gave you at the point of that wedding that we had? That's the Jesus. That's the pure one. 
That's the real one. That's the truth. Don't let anything else come between you. Don't let rules or don't let people who have selfish ambition or selfish ways come in and lead you astray from that truth. False teachings are in the church. And I'm going to put up a list in a second, but before I do, I want you to think, and maybe let's shout out. we got a little bit of time. Shout out just a, a quick thought about what might be a false truth about Jesus. Anybody? He's not God. That's good. We have a woman's Bible study on Mondays and Tuesdays. And Tuesday. That's my mom, by the way, so uh, somebody said something over here. Let's go over here real quick. <laughs> He's only a prophet. That's good. What, what do you have? What? Okay. I'm going to put him up on the list in a second. One of them was saying that he's not a god. He was a prophet or a teacher. Anything else that might say that you're teaching a different Jesus? One of many gods. Well, here's a list that I put together. It's not an exhaustive list, but here's a list of some basic things. The gospel message of Jesus is really simple. I was telling the guys at the staff meeting, there was a story about Vernon McGee, the great guy, Bible bus guy, and he was telling a story about uh, this beautiful, eloquent, young preacher like Apollos was on stage in this big church, and he had all these big, flowery words, and Vernon McGee was in the, in the stage, and they didn't realize this guy was one of the greatest preachers of all time in that era, and uh, he's like, what is this guy saying? All these words, and he came to the conclusion he didn't know what he was saying. The gospel message is really simple. Man and pastors make it really difficult. Sorry. We do that, but we do. But here's some of the things. This is not an exhaustive list, but somebody said it, uh, denying his deity. I have a friend of mine that doesn't believe he was born of a virgin. He's like, it's impossible. And I'm like, he did a lot of miracles. That's not, for me, that's not one of the biggest miracles, but I understand it. But I mean, he's like adamant. No virgin, no way. It's never been done. And I'm like, okay. Uh, he never performed miracles. You know, a lot of people don't believe that he was, a, you know, he's a great teacher, he's a prophet, but he never really did any great miracles. There's a lot of historical, historical documents outside of the Bible that show that he did miracles. Uh, we must earn salvation. That's a real Christianese one that's moved uh, in, into some denominations and have separated us from real Christians, but we have to work to get salvation. Hell isn't real. Jeremy got a great message a couple, about two months ago or three months ago about hell, that he really didn't die for our sins, and even worse, that he really didn't resurrect. And that's the gospel message. And if anything other than that, is added on to it or subtracted, now you're listening to someone saying, well, yeah, he was a great teacher, but he didn't really die and raise again. That's ridiculous. Nobody raises from the dead. Or not everybody goes to hell. Why would a good God make a hell? It's not really there. Everybody's gonna go and there's multiple pathways. That's when we start seeing a different Jesus and a different spirit controlling that group and that person and a different gospel message. And we're going to get to how we can really understand that a little bit later. So here's what Paul's saying in this first paragraph. You fools! You're a bunch of fools in this church to believe that that's what life is really about. And that's the gospel that was preached. Now you've got some slick willy in there selling you some snake oil. And he's turning the gospel around. 
And you're missing out on what the pure golden love that, that Jesus has for you. The church is being shifted. It was going straight, and now it's being shifted away from God. That's hard to understand, but that's what's happening. And I think if Paul was here today, he would say, who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Do you know in the church, I know in our church for sure, there's a bunch of people that don't even know who Jesus really is. They believe in most of the tenets. I had a conversation with a lady that said, yeah, I believe in most of everything you say, but there's a couple parts. Christians, they would call themselves Christians. Question is, who's Jesus to you? That's what Paul's trying to communicate. Go back to that moment. Go back to your Bible. Look at the gospel message. And don't let anything sway the truth that you have. The farther we get away from that day of salvation, the more that we can get into our head from the world and separate us unless we fight for that gospel. Does that make sense? Verse 5 says, I don't think I'm in the least inferior to those super apostles, James and John and Peter. I'm not inferior to those guys. I may indeed be untrained as a speaker, but I do not have knowledge. We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. Was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to, f to you for free of charge? I robbed other churches by receiving support from them to serve you. And, was it I, and, when, and when I was with you, and needed something, I was not burdened by it to anyone. I wasn't a burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. They have kept me from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. Surely, as the truth of Christ is in me, nobody in the region of Acacia will stop me boasting, this boasting of mine. Why? Because I love, because I don't love you? God knows I do. And so he goes through this dialogue here, and he's having this conversation, and he's kind of going through this thing in his head. You ever gone through this conversation in your head as you're having a conversation with someone else and going, doesn't this person know what I've done to get to this place? And the Apostle Paul is going, I'm not going to tell you all the things that I've had to do to get here, but he's having this, and then he just kind of blurts it out. He goes from his head to his heart to the pen through the Holy Spirit and starts telling us what his head is saying. You guys don't understand. I did this for free. I didn't want to burden you at all. I didn't want to take one penny so you thought I was doing it to get money and to do it for a living. He's having this intimate conversation, and he's saying, I want to be a blessing to you. Do you know that sometimes when someone's in authority, especially a church leader or an elder or uh, you know, a lay person that's in leadership, they have to have these really crazy conversations that are truthful and need to tell others how, what they did and how they got there. And it's almost like a bragging thing. Last night I was at the Restore group, and at the end of the group, this guy came out and gave a test. And the tests were about the gifts that you have, the spiritual test. And there was three of them that I was afraid to answer because it was kind of braggy. So I put this little mark next to him, like my wife taught me. You just mark that one and you go back to it if you want to, right? So I put this little mark on three of them, right? And the funny thing is, when I went back to it, it would have told me that I had another gift that I denied, but I was, I was kind of braggy. And so I didn't do it because, well, Jeff's really a humble guy, right? <laughs> bravo, Jeff, bravo. <laughs> you just told 100 people your stuff there. That's really not bragging at all. 
The point of it is this. Sometimes in leadership and in authority, you need to go through and explain people point by point how you got there. And, and sometimes it's boastful and bragging, but in that moment, you have to have that conversation. You have to lay out truths, and you have, to make, you have to give people certain clarity and decisions and comments. And sometimes it can sound boastful, but this person is demanding that on the way that they're responding to you. And that's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. This moment in time at this letter, he's like, I've just got to be ridiculous and foolish and tell them the truth and what my head is really saying because it's really from God. And that's where he's here having this conversation. Less humble and he's being more bold. It says here that he's actually not a good speaker. Matthew brought this verse up last week that he's not a very good trained speaker. But that doesn't mean that he's not a good, godly man. Not everybody's gift is to be up here speaking. That's not their gift. There's a lot of people that are uncomfortable with that. And that that doesn't mean that they're not a godly person. And the Apostle Paul admits that. And this is so true for me. Because in my position, I have this same concept or thing going on in my head. And I recently think I just broke away from this. But I have felt for years, you can ask anybody on staff or the council, that I'm not qualified or I'm worthy or have the, the great degrees. And I've been the leader of the pastor's group for years. And I always felt like the, the little lost sheep in the group. But the truth is, God says that's not true. That's a lie from the enemy. And because he's changed my life and he's blessed me with many things, I have been touched by God, I have been healed by God, I have experienced the grace of God, I've been given wisdom and understanding through the gospel from God, I've been given a theology and experience from God, and because of that and that healing and that transformation in my heart, God has put me in a place of authority. And honestly, my unworthiness is slipping away because it's no longer a lie that I buy into. And it started several months ago. And that's because that's what God wants. And the Apostle Paul is in that same place writing to this church. I was going to say, damn it. He was saying, I don't know if you can say that, but if you're at church, darn it. I really am, I'm really stuck here and I need to tell the, con the congregation this is what's happening. And me and Paul are kind of on the same wavelength that I've had this breakthrough and now he's having a conversation to the church. He's like, I don't need to prove to you, but I am gonna prove to you that I have authentic super apostle credentials to be a part of who I am. And I think it's a powerful statement. This is what Paul is trying to do. He's trying to show proof that I deserve to be here. And what's happening is the false teachers as they come, are starting to teach against him. Paul can't even speak well. He stutters. He's this little ball. He, it sounds like he's this little ball George Costanza kind of guy, doesn't it? It doesn't look like he's this Apollos, nice, big, handsome, bold man, right? He's got this Costanza whiny, it seems like. I don't know. God forgive me if he's this great guy. But uh, he's trying to show proof, and it, it's something they stuck with. So here's the thing. The leaders here at church are just as Paul was. That's what I love about this. When I can go back, and I can't wait to go to my grave, because one of the things that they're going to put on my tombstone, if, if my family chooses, is this man would work for God for, to, for God for free, and has worked for God for free, and is willing to do it. 
If he asked me to do it today, I would do it in a heartbeat because the joy and the blessings of it has, is powerful. And the apostle Paul is coming to the same conclusions like, I did it for free. I came into this town in Oxnard or Ventura or Camarillo, and he's like, I asked my friends outside from San Bernardino to help me out because I didn't want to be a burden, and that's what Paul is. And the leaders here at this church have never wanted money. They didn't want to be a burden. They, we started the church, and we were afraid to take an offering. You know what every church leader has told us since the beginning of the church? If you're getting more than 40 or 50 people on Wednesday, you should do a Wednesday offering. We have never taken a Wednesday offering. We will never take a Wednesday offering. It's not about what we're doing on Wednesday to receive money. It's about giving you the glory of God for free because that's what this church is about. Well, you got a congregation. You should take money from them. Your congregation can give if they want because God is in control. That's what I love about this church. I want to ask you one more question at your desk. What does a good speaker, preacher, or Bible study leader look like, and what are the characteristics? And what I want you to do is just go around the table and say a couple of short words, like, you know, bold, knowledgeable. Just say a couple of words. I don't want to spend a bunch of time, but go around the table and answer these questions. What is a good preacher? What do you like in a preacher or a Bible teacher or a theologian? What do you like, and, and how does that make sense? So answer that question. Okay, about 30 seconds or a minute.
Okay, let's bring it back together. Hey, now listen. I'm not looking to promote Jeremy or myself and come up and look for attaboys at all, but uh, my cell phone number is. <laughs> you know, uh, I remember one September night, I don't know if my wife, my, I know my wife doesn't remember this, but she has a great memory. But one September night, me and Liz were looking for a church to go to, and we just got kind of, for like two and a half hours, we went through maybe 15 pastors just listening and we listened to two whole messages and about 10 or 12 five-minute messages going, nope, right? Nothing against, there's a bunch of great pastors in Ventura County, really, probably some of, the, some of the best and some that haven't really been connected to the world yet, but there's some great teachers here. But you gotta realize, if you think you like teaching and stuff, today's podcasting is really in right now. Listen to other people, but make sure you listen to the same person and, and the same type of person I love, uh, I love KDAR. They keep asking me and for us to go back on. But here's the thing. If you listen to all of them, they have different theologies. And they keep you spinning, right? You need to listen to one or two and know what they're from. And they're, they're Baptist or they're Presbyterian or they're non-denominational. And you need to know where they come from because you can listen to all of them, but they could also keep you spinning because they have different theologies, so pick a two or three and know where they're coming from. Find their weaknesses and listen to them, and I think it'll be powerful. I hope you see some of the characteristics. These are the traits that we have at this church that I love and I see, and not just me, but in, in the other ones, is humble. A lot of humility here up on the, on the stage. A lot of humility. Teachable. You know, Jeremy's got a couple of huge degrees, a lot of them, but he is the most teachable guy I've ever met. He's so willing to learn. He's just like a sponge. And he's growing. He wants to know more. And, uh, you know, Dustin and Odell and Randy. Randy's still learning. He's giving some away, but he's still learning uh, to see uh, Puna up here teaching. Christ-centered, spirit-led, prayerful people. That's some of the characteristics that we see here at the church. And the reason why I know that it's a successful uh, mix is because the church is growing because of that. And it's not growing in numbers and money. It's growing in the glory of God. So that's kind of what it is. It's good to know what you think a good teacher is so that when you're looking for them, you can have an idea of this is what I like and this is what I need and this is what I require. I, I like to listen to pastors and I like to look at their good and their bad things. I think it's good to listen to both good and bad preaching because it makes you feel good about yourself on one. <laughs> I'll just stop there. Verse 12, gosh, why do I always do that? Just shut up and teach. Verse 12 says, and I will keep on doing what I'm doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want the opportunity to consider themselves equal with us in the things that they're boasting about. Here at this moment, the apostle Paul says, as the church and as your little baby, you're my little baby, church, as, the, as me being the apostle or the missionary or the evangelist that came in and started the church, I'm willing to come in here and tell you we're going to cut the legs out from anyone who's stirring you in a different direction and stirring the pot only to create controversy to lift themselves up. Right? He's like, I'm willing to go to battle. And here he's starting to go to battle. And the next few verses is something I really wanted to get to. 
But Paul's main focus is the church. He's, he's now coming to the conclusion, stop letting falsehoods and false teachings in the walls without you combating it. At the beginning, it's like, you guys are letting people talk dis, uh, bad about Jesus, and you're not saying stop, you're just letting it come in. You're being okay with it. If somebody's at your table and making fun of Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the gospel, somebody hopefully would slap them around and say, hey, that's what I believe. This is my house. This is the house of the Lord. Now, if you're at Coffee Bean, you can listen to them. And, and, and I've been in a, a conversation the last couple of weeks where someone was bad-mouthing. It's like, well, I don't know if you guys know this, but I was on the golf course, and I'm like, everybody's cussing and yelling and talking to God in different ways. And uh, they said about hole 11 or 12, what do you do? I'm a pastor. He's like, why didn't you tell us? I'm like, what am I going to tell you? You've already been talking to him all day. It's <laughs> not in a way that I communicate, but in a way. Anyways, that was an interesting conversation. But Do you know this, that the Apostle Paul wasn't a pastor? You know, I, was, I, I don't see my sister here, but my sister is a missionary and has been a missionary, and she can preach, and she can get up there. But a pastor and a missionary are completely different people. They have some of the same characteristics of charisma and all that, but Paul's not really a day-to-day -day pastor. The apostle Paul is a missionary, and a missionary usually, in, in Paul's sense, he's an apostolistic, or he has this apostle uh, of gifting, and it's a visionary, get it started, and then he wants to release it and give the foundation to people that he's raised up going, they're better than I am at this, really? All I'm doing is bringing people together and putting in place. You're a good preacher, you're a good minister, you're doing this, and you can handle the money. And he gets the thing going, and then he kind of sets back and watches the foundation. He's not the teacher. He's never said that he was this super pastor. There were other people. James, Jesus' brother, was a great speaker and probably the lead pastor of the church in Jerusalem. Paul is not. He has this gift of getting things together, but the day-to-day -day grind of pastoring, that's, that's a gift. I, I, I have that gift because I like that. I like people, most of you. A couple in this section right here is really tough to deal with, but... But the day-to-day -day grind of pastoring is not all of that... It's a great job, but there's a lot of crap. And the Apostle Paul wasn't into it. You can tell. In one of the commentaries, he's saying, Paul's tone in this writing in the Greek is rude. And one of the commentaries were saying he was responding to rude people with rude behavior because the Corinthians were this crude, rude group of people. If you look at the, the tonality or the tone of this text, it would be rude in what Paul's writing. Paul's probably not a great pastor, but he's a bold man. And his words come off the page boldly because the Holy Spirit had a hold of his pen. And the boldness of Paul is being spoke today deeply within the church still. And that's what Paul's gift was. Not a pastor for the day-to-day -day grind. And so people were making fun of him. You come and you're not this really bold man. You're unimpressive. But in your letters, you're this real, you know, Super apostle, so to speak. Now, we got about six or seven minutes, and I want to make sure I get through all of this. But uh, here's the last part. I think this is, this is one of the ways that the devil has uh, deceived us as a church. 
Verse 13 says, For such people are false apostles and deceitful workers, masquerading as apostles of Christ. So he's saying, these are the type of people that are there. And here's it says, No wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. So here the apostle Paul makes these huge statements. And I want to show you something. Who's this? Who's, in, who's this image right here? Who, who is that? The devil. the devil, right? No. But this is what the world sees the devil as. This is actually Pan, look like the devil. This is a guy named Pan. He's a Greek god. And the top half is kind of human. He's got horns, got this beard. But on the bottom half, he's kind of got the, I don't know, this, this animal with hoofs. And over time, go back to that red, red first picture, Jeremy, we've turned the devil into Pan. Not Peter Pan, but Pan, the God, the Greek God. And this is what he looks like. And we've made it. And this is how the devil shifts because he thinks, only this guy, if this guy came into the church, there's the devil, false prophet. But the world has changed because that's not what this text says. Go back to the, 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 the third picture, Jeremy. The next one. This is actually a, 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 an image of Pan, and this is more like what the text says the devil would like, look like, an angel of light. This guy's kind of this sensu sensual, sexy man from Avatar, right? Can I ask you guys a question? Who has fallen in love with the beast and Beauty and the Beast over time? After you watch that, you guys, he's kind of good looking. <laughs> I could see what she sees in him. I was just hoping. <laughs> but this is actually another depiction of Pan, and this is actually makes more sense of what the text says. Because the text doesn't say he's got horns. What does it say? If you look at the next uh, picture, it tells him, he says, but I am, don't be surprised, even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. That means he looks like one of you and I, or he looks like a God kind of self, very beautiful. What would, it, what would Satan look like? Handsome, could sing well, knowledgeable, righteous, and his servants would look like they know everything. That's an interesting point. The world has been deceived over time that it's the guy with the horns that's the bad guy in the church. Whoever's got a hat on, take it off. Lol, not you. You don't have to take your hat off. We know you ain't got horns in there. <laughs> but we've been deceived because we've now made our image of this other Greek god as the devil. But the devil says he comes in and shines like light, and his minions come as the angels of light, and they look like they're the most righteous and knowledgeable. Does, the, does, the, does Satan know the Bible? Very well. And the reason why we're deceived, because we don't know the Bible very well. Satan's plan from the beginning to destroy the church was persecution. He was going to bring up leaders and, and countries and, and people groups and other religions to come up and thwart Christianity. But God in his wisdom knew that through persecution, what was going to happen? The Bible was going to spread. That first moment of persecution in Israel and Jerusalem spread. 
And then that persecution in the 74 or 78 AD even spread more. By the time 315 AD, before the Bible was come together, by that time, the Bible and the gospel had spread throughout the whole Roman Empire because of persecution. So what did Satan try to do? He quit persecuting as much, which are still persecution, but he had more of his minions join the church. Let's get inside. Let's act like a double agent. And let's start stirring the pot. Let's start creating chaos and confusion within. And we'll look so righteous, it'll look true. We need to realize that there's sheep. There's wolf in sheep's clothing. So how do you do it? I don't want to walk away and get you thinking without giving you some things there's a place called Crosswalk, and I looked it up today, and I just wanted to give you five biblical things to look out. Five ways to recognize a wolf in sheep's clothing. First of all, it says, watch out. Beware of false prophets who come in sheep's clothing, but are inwardly ravenous wolves. The people that come in here with different motives. And a lot of times, people that are being used by Satan don't realize that they're actually, they're actually doing Satan's work. Because they're coming in here with their own agenda, their own time set, and what they want out of the church instead of coming in and going, what can I give you, God, from my heart and soul? Watch out. People come in here looking like sheep, but inside their motives are one. That's the first one. The second one, the verse next to it, it says, no real and you will know the fake too. The FBI, when you become an FBI agent, my brother's sister's an FBI agent, and if you're in the crime division or if you're in the fraud division, they put you in a room for, I think they said six weeks with $100 bills. They're all real. They never show you one fake $100 bill, and the mindset is if you know the real ones, you'll always be able to fill a fake. Oh, this paper's wrong, the paint's wrong, because they look at the bill all day long for eight hours. I wouldn't make it. I'd just quit and work at the Starbucks down the street because I couldn't be in the room that long looking at a $100 bill. I'd probably be putting them in my pocket. <laughs> know the real ones, and then you'll know the fake ones. That's how the FBI works. That's how Christianity should work. And how do you know that they're real or fake? If there should be some level of fruit in someone's life that's talking and preaching and telling things that are going on. You should see some level of fruit. If there's no fruit, then you're looking back and going, huh, there's something a little off there. There's no fruit, but they think they have fruit, and they're telling us there should be fruit, and they're telling you why I don't have fruit, but there's no fruit there. Watch out, because it says you will recognize the sheep by their fruit. When we're in Christ, we should have the fruits of the Spirit. Number three, know God's word, and you'll know how it's being twisted. Once again, Satan knows the word better than everybody in here. And so our job is to understand it and know the, know the best that we can and then refer back to it. And if it doesn't sound right, doesn't look right, look in your own Bible and then ask questions, right? Make sure somebody doesn't turn it because they will. Know the Bible. And this one kind of goes to the Corinthians verse. Satan disguises himself as angels of light and his cohorts disguise themselves as servants of righteousness, Number four, trust the discernment and wisdom of the Spirit living within your life or through your life. The Holy Spirit is inside of you. I don't know how many times I've been with somebody and they're like, I just feel wrong about this thing or this person. This feeling inside of you, and if you're filled with the Spirit, 
It's right more times than not, if not every time. And it says trust in that spirit. Matthew 24 and 25, this place where Jesus is warning us about the, 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 the sign of the times, it says false prophets will appear, perform great signs and wonders to deceive. If possible, even the elect, the people that are elected will be part of this deception. And it says, see, I'm telling you this ahead of time. So what does that mean if the elect? It means in some aspects, pastors, elders, TV evangelists, YouTube famous people, people are going to start to try and deceive as, to, as Christ is getting closer. And people will fall victim if they're not strong and connected to that vine, that vine of God and through Jesus Christ. And the last one says, which I like this one, is surround yourself with other believers that you know and trust. Right? Get to know the people around you and know and trust that they know and trust the same things. And you don't have to agree with them theologically on certain things like predestination, but you trust them to not bend the gospel and bend the truth. But you get yourself close to around people that you know and trust. Knowing this, scoffers will come in the last day and they will follow their sinful desires. When man is involved in anything, especially pastors and elders, Power gets to them. And it can do crazy things. Just like money can get to people and do crazy things. That's what we see here. You need to know your Bible. You need to make sure your, your, your pastor or your preacher, the one that you like, is actually preaching from the word of God. Don't assume that we know what we're talking about. Maybe we do and maybe we're trying to deceive you for something else. Look at the character of that person and look at the fruit. And fruit is not mega jets and big houses. Fruits is a great marriage. Kids that are loving God and serving God. Those are the fruits of pastors and leaders and people that you should go and say, is there something there because that, that's how it works. I'm thankful that you guys are here today. I'm thankful that you let me speak a little bit to you today. I know this is sometimes a tough subject, but it doesn't mean it's wrong, but it just means it's good because God is good all the time. Amen? Let's just bow our heads and thank God Almighty for who he is. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a God of, of, of goodness and you hate lies and untruths. And I pray today that you speak boldly to us, that our heart receives all of this, and it's manifested in a way that your light shines, Lord. Bring truth into places where there's falsehoods and let our life be an offering to you in the light of Jesus Christ. We love you. We praise you, Lord, because you're the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. We love you. God bless you. Thank you all. Amen.